Hey, what's the story? You're listening to Origin Stories, a podcast where entrepreneurs, founders, and business leaders reflect on their past and identify the key turning points that helped them go from zero to hero. My name is Robert Tai, and I'm a journalist and the founder of StoryBud, a company that helps businesses tell better stories. I've been lucky enough to work with some high achievers over the last 18 years, and in Origin Stories, I chat with them about how they make big decisions and what you can learn from their mistakes. Welcome to Origin Stories. I'm Robert Tai, and my guest today is Glenn Marvin. Glenn, great to have you. How are you doing? Great to be here, mate, and um, stoked to be part of the Origin Story series. I should tell people a little bit about you. A lot of people out there will know you, but I should tell people who don't a little bit about you before we um, before we go any further. I asked you to uh, to send me a few lines about yourself, and and you hit me with with this, which is Glenn Marvin has spent his life running initially running from himself and the world he grew up in in South Auckland. He dropped out of university and spent a few years as a travelling bum, living a life full of booze and drugs. Next, he became a police officer before leaving the police for the corporate world. Ironically, he found peace within himself and success in business when he actively started running in his 30s. And in 2017, he founded Connector, a successful digital marketing agency. You've been through some stuff, Glenn. Um, let's let's. And you clearly polished the bio. <laughs> <laughs> a little edit here and there, but it's hey, it's it's. Uh, you've been through some incredible stuff. So so let's start at the beginning. That's what origin stories are all about. Let's start with with growing up in in South Auckland. How did that shape you and and, and impact you for the years that that followed? I suppose. Yeah, well, uh, my story is probably not that much different from many. Growing up in, in South Auckland, it's not exactly the, the, the most aesthetically pleasing area. You know, single mother, uh, my parents separated when I was very young. Um, I couldn't actually remember them together. So, you know, my mother struggling with three boys to, to, to bring, us, bring us up together, doing everything that she possibly could. Papakura is obviously an affordable suburb, <clears throat> and um, yeah, it was a it was an, let's call it an interesting childhood. Got abused and uh, not, not the uh, that sort of mm. abused, but uh, bullied quite a lot at school. Little yeah. white boy, I used to wet my pants as a kid. So you know there was all sorts of things going on in, in my head where I had to you know in essence practice escapism. Yeah, and you talk about it. I mean, apart from dealing with the challenges of, of that environment, you also talk, it's the first line in your LinkedIn profile, a near-death experience when you were 15 or 16 on the rugby field, right? Yeah, yeah. So interesting playing playing rugby for school, just getting to the point where I thought that I could uh, actually be a half-decent sports person and, and maybe make it to that top tier. And uh, yeah, ended up getting kicked in the guts going for a pushover try and against Mount Roscoe Grammar, those <laughs> And um, yeah, the next thing I know, I wake, wake up on the sideline, uh, two and a half hours for the ambulance to turn up. Yeah, I ended up in hospital. Uh, they nearly lost me on the operating table and I was very, very lucky to be here today. So that for me was a good motivator, maybe for some of the wrong reasons. At that point, at that age in my life, it was like, right, I've got to make the most of every single day. But when you're young and impressionable, making the most of every single day is not necessarily doing the right things. 
So you kind of cut loose and you live for the moment rather than thinking about what was down the track. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. So I went to university because that was what my brothers did. I found out that I got into teacher's college before my end of my first year exams. So I, I uh, ended up going on a boozy road trip instead of doing my exams. Um, got into teacher's college. There were, uh, I think, 24 in my class in teacher's college, of which half, it was a great split, 50-50, male-female. Um, I dropped out of teacher's college halfway through that first year. Hmm. And there were only three other males left <laughs> when I... I left it was when there was this whole sort of scandal the Peter Ellis scandal and right. you know, men were looked at as potential you know child sex offenders and groomers and we were treated absolutely appallingly right um, and it was just a reflection of what was going on in the media at the time and I didn't have the the time the energy or the inclination to to put up with it yep. so I decided to go traveling and spent the next nearly five years traveling between Australia, the South Pacific, Europe, South Africa, just literally partying my ass off and living a life of excess, which is you do in your, in your 20s. So would you say it was a typical Kiwi OE or was it next level? <laughs> would you describe it? I'd, I'd, hope, I'd hope it wasn't the typical because if there was going to be some people that have messed up. I was very, very good at finding the underbelly of society. And okay. um, so, you know, I lived in King's Cross for 12 months. I had just random experiences like working on a building site. And the guy that I was working with was a heroin addict. And I, you know, kept on finding him passed out around the corner. And it was, it was a really, really bizarre introduction to drugs. But I think that for me was actually quite a godsend because when you when you have some of your formative time in the likes of king's cross and you see the absolute dregs of society and what those hardcore drugs can do to you it sort of put a mental limiter on me so i would almost you know i i tried almost everything i went nearly everywhere i did almost anything that i possibly could want to do but I drew the line at those things that you injected into your body because I saw just, you know, I probably literally saved the lives of half a dozen people over the course of 12 months going through the local park, which was just around the corner from where I lived and seeing people overdosed. And wow. you just sit with them and call the paramedics. And, you know, it was a it was a, a daily thing there that the paramedics had come and stabbed them with the adrenaline and bring them back. That's some heavy stuff to go through in your, in your early 20s, right? Mm-hmm. Fun at the time, right. and you don't think about the consequence. <laughs> yeah. And at what stage of this bender did you uh, start to think about life afterwards and what was going to come next? So was there a low point where you realised, damn, I need to get my act together here, Glenn? Yeah, I, I spent nearly a year in South Africa. And most amazing country it was in the, the glory days of 95, 96, just after the Mandela had been elected, Rugby World Cup victory. It was it was an amazing, amazing time to be there. Mm. Um, and you know, reoccurring themes here was a life of excess, where I was I was working in bars and nightclubs, you know, finishing at three, four in the morning, and then carry on through until daylight. You know, six, seven days a week. Um, and I think my, I just got tired of it. I got I got tired of it, and then there was one instance where. 
there was a, a mate of mine that I'd party with regularly. We were absolutely off our off our faces and decided to do that stupid fatal thing of of him he wanted to drop me back to my place and we ended up having a having a car crash he's got a scar running right across his forehead i've got a massive scar on, on the top of my head and i don't know how we we came out of it and that was a big wake-up call um, I was overstaying in the country. The police turned up. I just screamed, I'm a bleeder. I'm a bleeder. And um, just as the ambulance turned up, so they threw me in the ambulance and I was fully suspect, ex- expecting the police to turn up at the hospital and deport me. But um, uh, I suppose at some point they must have just got busy and forgotten about us. Wow. And I was very, very lucky both to get away with my life and, and, and not have anybody else hurt. Uh, and that was the last time I ever got into the car with anybody that's been drinking. And that was that was the, probably the big wake-up call. It was after that I think my body just turned around and said, stop. Yeah. And I had this little revelation of maybe it's time to go home and grow up. So I, I literally booked a flight, turned up at home with a couple of hundred bucks in my pocket, got a job within two days and started setting my sights on a career in the police force. That's an interesting choice. Why Why the police force? Had that been something you'd been thinking about for a while, or where, where did that come from? Well, I think d- despite the, you know, the glossed-over drunken debauchery for five years of travel and things like that, I was, I was always the, the babysitter. I was always the caretaker. I was always the one that was looking out for everybody else and my uncle was in the police force and I have always had the utmost respect for him. I, I just think it was, I, I have this need to give. Okay. So I went in with very idealistic views of you know, change the world, save society, be a career police officer and um, you know, it'll be the most rewarding, fulfilling life that I can, can lead. But um, the, the reality is very, very different. It's still probably the job out there on the planet that I have got the utmost respect for, almost above almost anything else with what you have to deal with. And I, I, I struggled after seven years, seven right. years of you know picking up dead bodies, seven years of bureaucracy, seven years of paperwork, seven years of institutionalized issues where I, while I believed in some of the old school mentality and I thought you know things were getting a little bit soft there was still a whole lot of old school stuff that was just completely wrong and I needed to make a choice after seven years of staying and knowing that I would become the cynical old institutionalized cop that I saw around me or going out there and trying to to find a new path and it was it was terrifying I left the police thinking I had no transferable skills yeah, just before we get on to that, the second incident you mentioned in your LinkedIn profile involved an incident in, in, in the police force. I don't know if you want to talk about that or how that shaped you. I mean, again, you know, really traumatic thing to go through, right? There's, there, are, there are so many moments like that. Now, in that mm. particular instance is where um, I was first on scene in a house fire. Um, I tried to get in through the house and clear the house. I failed. Um, I had to get out of the house. Um, I was overcome by smoke um, and just, you know, in the essence, I, I, I ended up collapsed on the ground and nearly blimmin' carked it again myself. Mm. And unfortunately, there was somebody 
in one of the bedrooms and they they died in 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 the fire um smoking in bed don't do it mm-hmm. folks yeah um and again that was another sort of tipping point for me of you go from hero to zero of you're trying to do the right thing and then you end up getting raked through the coals yeah, <laughs> for, right. yeah. for putting yourself at risk Okay, um, in terms of your superior you can guarantee that if I'd pulled somebody out, you would have been the hero. When you haven't pulled somebody out, you're the idiot. Okay, and that was a big big wake-up call in terms of the, as you said, the old-school mentality maybe or the bureaucracy of the police force that was t- starting to wear you down, I guess. Yeah, and at yeah. that point, I also had a young family. Um, you know, I started off my career in South Auckland, and you're, you're young, you're stupid, you're full of adrenaline, you, you still love partying. Um, you've got backup all around you, and it's a real camaraderie atmosphere. Um, and moving to the South Island, you know, it's still a beautiful, amazing place, but you know, working in rural South Canterbury, still massive drug culture, lots of alcohol, um, lots of rural incidents, domestic violence is rife, and you're walking into situations by yourself where there's potentially firearms, weapons, um, violence, and you know, people that are addled by either drugs or alcohol and you know it was everyone's got this idyllic view of of rural rural life but it's mm. it's honestly as a, as a law enforcement officer it's probably more dangerous than working in south auckland right okay so how difficult was that decision what, what age were you when you made the decision to leave the police force and as you say start from scratch with really not not too many transferable skills well i don't know the exact age it shows my age. I can't remember how old I was when I left a job. Yeah. Uh, mid-30s. Okay, mid-30s. Mid, mid, mid-30s when I left. And, what, did you, um, what did you consider? What were your options? What did, what did you do? Uh, believe it or not, I actually dabbled in real estate, and uh, I jumped out of that pretty quick because I didn't believe in the ethics at the okay. time. Made some good quick money, but mm. I didn't agree with what was going on around me within the industry and the way mm. that the real estate agents, it was a backstabbing environment, and there wasn't, there wasn't the support that, you know, you would like to think from sure. an employer, sure, um, things like that. So I ended up working um, for a company in the private equity space running, uh, started off running one company. Um, I actually started off as an account manager and then fortune has it that um, I pretty quickly realized that all of those life skills that I picked up traveling and in the police of communication and being able to make a decision and um, being a little bit of a, a chameleon, so to speak, uh, I got progressed through the company pretty quickly and, and about 12 to 14 months after I started there was a, a general manager's role came up and I ended up getting offered that. That's when I, I really started falling in love with uh, the positive proactive approach and around marketing and digital marketing and things like that whereas traditionally back then in that space private equity was all about stripping cost, stripping headcount, making a business as lean as possible so on paper it was there was a big turnaround but it would generally those businesses would run so lean that at some point they were going to fall over unless you reinvested back into them. So that was a, it was a false economy to inflate the price to get a quick exit. And I didn't necessarily agree with that. So finding, you know, mid 2000s, this whole Google thing, um, where I was like, wow, if you just spend money on this Google thing, the phone starts ringing. How bizarre. Right, okay. So I started getting more and more into that, the, the, the proactive, the marketing, the understanding story, the understanding, the, the mindset of the buyer, you know, as much, if not more than how do I strip this company there? 
because if we can invest in growth, mm. we don't necessarily need to create a, a false economy in and around the cash flow in the business. Yeah. It's interesting you talked about the life skills that you picked up, you know, maybe initially when you left the police force, you didn't have any transferable skills. But it's something that I, I find from doing this process with people. Everything, every past experience can inform, you know, what you do now. If, if, if you're aware enough of it, I think of it, you know, and, 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 and reflect on it, right? Um, mm. You'll find things in your past that, that inadvertently, without you even knowing it, you apply in, 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 a, in a current role, right? I am so grateful for the time that I had in the job and I'm and I'm so grateful for the time that I spent traveling and and mm. living living life. For me, they are the foundations of my education. Um they are the foundations behind the values that I hold in business. Wanting if not needing to do the right thing yeah. has cost me a lot of money over the time. There is so many opportunities where we could have chased the dollars. Yeah. But it's at the expense of either the clients or somebody else. I'm really proud of how not only myself, but how you know the companies that I've been involved in um, follow that that ethos and have those values within them. Because it's really important to me mm. that you know we follow those those values of, of, of positivity and doing the right thing and knowing when to say no. And there you know there is no magic bullets. Yeah. Um, things like that. What we do is it, it's a tough gig and it's a tough job. And, you know, we're nearly half a million small businesses in New Zealand doing what I do. So many of them get food fed bullshit yeah. um, day after day and sold the dream, whereas they need quite often a reality check. Totally. You, you, you talked about that corporate exposure and the private equity side of things. And again, you, you, you mentioned, I think, earlier that that started to take a toll as well, that you started to get burned out and, 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 and that corporate lifestyle again, can be really intense and really, really wearing uh, after a while. Yeah, well, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's often said that, you know, that the, the private equity space, it, it either creates thoroughbred racehorses or you're off to the knackers yard. It was, it was an amazing experience and I mm. absolutely, again, value that. You know, all of these experiences that I've had have just built on yeah. each other. I can, I can vividly remember going into my first boardroom meeting and studiously taking notes with all of these acronyms that were going and floating around the boardroom table. And I must have sit there, you know, they were going, oh, you know, he's, geez, he's, he's putting his heart and soul into this job already. And the reality is, is I had no idea what the <laughs> hell they were talking about. And I was just writing down things that I could go away and look on Google and go, well, what the hell does this acronym mean? Um, so, you know, I might have had the people skills. I certainly didn't have the commercial acumen. I've always had side hustles and I've always, you know, dabbled in, in bits and pieces and stuff like that with the entrepreneurial spirit. But um, that boardroom environment was a completely alien environment um, for me. And, it, and it's just, it's been great for me to be able to have those layers mm. of experience, you know, lead to where I am today. And I'm, you know, I'm very happy. So burnout, yeah, yeah. So how did you respond to that? Is that when you found running? Was it around that time that you found running? Yeah. So I I I ran a little as a kid, and I was all right at it. I was brought up, you know, a lot of the time on on a, on a farm. And mm. um, we used to spend a lot of time on a farm out out in the South Auckland. But you know, when I left the police force, I was the least fit I'd been in my entire life. I've, I've got a vivid memory of moving back to Auckland. Um, staying with my brother and going for a run with him. And, I, and I, I doubt I would have got two Ks down the road before I had to stop, turn around and walk home. And I was horrifically embarrassed. I was well over 100 kilos. Hmm. 
and miserable with how I looked and felt. Thankfully, you know, he was part of a running group that met. It was actually, as let's be honest, it was part of a drinking group that <laughs> met every Tuesday, and we'd we'd run just little bit by little bit. I increased the distance, and I did a half marathon, and then it was like Auckland half marathon. Come off the Harbour Bridge, you go to finish at Victoria Park Market. There was this lady in front of me, and this old guy. He, honestly, I thought he was about eighty years old. And I felt terrible that I just kept on catching this guy at the aid stations and I'd have to stop and have a drink and he'd just carry on moseying on, shuffling along. And this this larger-than-life lady sort of was on par with him. Mm. I was like, I'm going to get you at the finish line. Lo and behold, we're, we're coming up towards Victoria Park Market and they both peel off and they carry on and do the full marathon mm. and I'm nearly dying. <laughs> and it was at that moment that I was right, next year I'm doing the marathon. Right, um, and um, and, I, and so I did, and then I did the marathon, and then I found trail running, and I did um, my first ultra, which was uh, the Kepler um, Ultra right. down in Tiana, which is just still my f- most favourite race on the planet, and I'm, yeah. I'm back there again in a few weeks' time. Great, my fifth, because I'm not built for speed, and I've got this inner need to push myself to a, to the limit. I think that is one of the things that helped me find myself is rather than just continually working and burning myself in a, in a negative environment is finding that other thing that challenged me that was in a healthy environment with amazing supportive people that have this culture and are around them of just an undying positivity and support right. um, yeah. and trail running especially um, the trail running and the ultra community are a completely different breed, and that that I, you know, if if it didn't save my life again, that completely transformed um, my mental my, my my view on mental well being. Wow, and, and and that translated to your career as well, and, and and decisions you made around around your career and what was yep. what was next. Yeah, I sort of I got the saying that when when you when you learn to suffer, you suffer less. Okay. And especially in the ultras, there are so many, you know, metaphors for being in business and in life. And, you know, you start off with a hiss and a roar and you're so excited and it's, it's, it's amazing, like this new business journey. And then you, you find the rhythm and you, you're thinking that you're finding success and then, then you run out of steam a little bit. And um, so, you know, in business, you, you, you sort of hit that glass ceiling and you don't know what to do. And then you, mm. your mind and your body crashes and then you, somehow you pick yourself back up again and you find yourself on this big high. And, you've, and the longer you go mm. in those runs, the more frequent those peaks yeah. and those troughs are. And, the, and then the higher and the lower they are as well. Yeah. And I think when you've done a few of them, some of those problems and those challenges that you find with people, mm. some of those problems and those challenges that you find with business mm. don't seem as hard. <laughs> again, I'll just keep, come back to the, the people in that environment. Uh, I find that, again, probably the further you go and the longer you go and the bigger the race, the more you find people that have suffered in their personal life as well and it's their way of dealing and coping with some of that suffering it's it's how they find their release and their probably their inner peace yeah right and um it's definitely one of those things that i need to constantly work on if i'm not breaking a sweat most days 
then my mental health suffers. Yeah. Um, and I find running for me is like an active form of meditation, especially if it's on a trail where you can go for 30 to 40 minutes and then you sort of, you, you clear your mind at that point and then you probably get another 30 to 40 minutes of just this, this little utopian purple patch yeah. before your body then starts going, ah, now you're going too far. So did the decision, I wonder, to go out on your own and set up Connector um, a few years after you got out of the venture capital side of things, did, did that come on the trail by any chance? Was that a, a running inspired kind of decision or something that you maybe mulled over during your long runs? The, the number of amazing decisions that I have made in my life that have come either on a trail or on a training run hmm. at, you know, five o'clock in the morning where I've just decluttered, de-stressed yeah. and clarity comes is, a, is, is, is incredible. And that's, it's another reason why I have to be selfish hmm. and make time to exercise because not only is it good for my mental health, but those that are those that depend on me, not just at home, and I've got a beautiful family, but not just those people that depend on me at home, but those in the office when I'm not right and mentally, then the the workplace will suffer as well because I can't sure. be there to support them. The decision to go out on your own and, and, and start Connector, that was 2017, right? How, how daunting was that decision, uh, you know, again, in your, what, mid-40s? Um, yeah, I'm, I am lucky. I, I, I am also the, the owner or part owner of another company that I bought into in 2015. Okay. Um, so that was probably the big, big decision. I, I, I joined that company in 2010. Yeah. Um, we grew that as, a, as an employee, as the director of sales. Um, we grew that company in three and a half years by 25 staff. We made the Deloitte Fast 500, Asia mm. Pacific. Um, we sold it to an American technology company. And I went as part of that sale as key man risk and um, helped embed that company in New Zealand. Cool. And um, there was 14 months there working for the American company, which again was another great learning. Mm. Um, that that was the that was the deal deal breaker for me. It got got to the point where I was I either need to go and find another exciting, challenging role. Yeah. Because um, I then we I hired 100 staff in another 12 months. Wow. And that was that burnout material, right? Yeah. That, hiring 100 staff and trying to. To, to run it with um, there was a, another guy um, who I was who I was working with and we were sort of trying to just supercharge this thing. Um, so I had two choices: go and find another exciting role, or go back to rebuild um, that company that um, we'd sold this division from. Right. <clears throat> and you know, thankfully, I was allowed to buy buy into that company and become an equal third um, shareholder. And we grew that again, and they focus very, very much more. Surefire Search focus very much more on the medium to the enterprise side, yeah. Which is again in that corporate environment. And if I'm and if I'm honest, I got bored. Um, I love thinking, I love strategy, and I love giving. And in that corporate world, you're very much not necessarily an order taker, but they've got great people that have got great strategic minds and you are doing what you are told to get them the result they need rather okay. than contributing to the strategy and the ideas. 
So out of that boredom came um, the work for whiskey program where <laughs> I just started doing pro bono stuff for yeah. SME businesses. And I'd say, hey, look, I'll work with you for a month. I'll give you the strategy. I'll give you the actions that you need to take. And I will punch you in the face every week for a month. <laughs> make sure you do it. And at the end of the month, if you if you comfortable if you're happy and you're you're stoked with with where things are going great go off and fly yeah you don't have to give me any money um but if you're happy just buy me a bottle of whiskey and the more happy you are the better the bottle of whiskey so thankfully i've got a beautiful whiskey collection now. <laughs> yeah um but i did that for three months yeah and at the end of that three months i turned around to my my, my two business partners and said hey you know we've got something here yeah. We've got the real ability to to build a community. We've got a real ability to give back to the small business community of New Zealand and actually make an impact. Mm -hmm. And it's a real hard choice to go into a predominantly coaching role when you're an action taker. Yeah. Because not everybody is an action taker. And, you know, if I've got one major failing, it's putting my expectations of myself on others and I need to be a better coach in regards to understanding how people work. Yeah. Um, because all I want is the best for people and I see all this opportunity and I see all of this, this, this ability for them to make an impact. Mm. And I'm just like, just take some action. <laughs> just do something. Um, but different people learn and take action in different ways. So we have... Yeah iterated over time to not only do the coaching but to also plug in some support services and and you know we are doing some things on behalf where we need to yeah and we've created a this year we've created a, a marketers on demand service where again you know there's unfortunately with the economic situation there's a whole lot of people and you know great marketers that have been made redundant or let go or they've been self-employed and they just haven't got the work and so rather than going out there and you know building this massive team mm. well why don't we act as connectors and mm. you know find these people contract roles and we can manage the client manage the payroll and everything like that and in, in essence build this contract workforce that if somebody needs somebody for an hour a week or five hours a week or ten hours a week you know, we've got this amazing network of marketers that we can plug in and, and have a marketer on demand. Yeah. Um, so that's a big part of our future. But again, the origin story from that is coming from what people need. Mm. And at the moment, they're moving away from big agency. Um, they want, you know, one or two things done. Yeah. And not necessarily locked into long-term commitments. And so, it's also, it's possibly a return um, to your teaching roots as well, right? I mean, you, you went to teach a training college, so that was always there, that, that notion, yeah. as you said, kind of passing on knowledge and, you know, uh, teaching people and, and helping them improve. And I'm a teacher at heart. I just love, um, you know, a lot of people struggle to believe when I say that um, I'm actually a, an introvert at heart. Um, I do this sort of stuff because I, as much as I love you, mate, um, <laughs> I do this out of I do this out a little bit out of necessity because it's sure. great for the brand. Sure. Um, but if I could, if if I could live in a shack on the on the shores of Lake Wakatipu and read books and work from a laptop for the rest of my life, yeah, and just go running in the mountains, I'd yeah. I'd be the happiest person on the planet. 
Sure, absolutely. So if you can figure out how to make that happen, <laughs> let's um, let's try and figure that out, Glenn. That would be. You can uh, write my go- you can you, you, you can be my ghost writer. I could talk me up, buddy. I could. I think there'd be quite a few people interested in that solution. If if you can package that, Glenn, you'd, you'd have quite a few few clients, I'm sure. If you had to, we talk about origin stories. If you it's, had it's to, it's amazing how many people. Yeah, go on. I was just saying, there's it's amazing how many people that are natural introverts that you come across when you sort of put yourself out there that um and that's probably one of the one of the great things about coaching is saying look if i can do it yeah if i can put this mask on and get out there and it's not that scary once you get used to it seeing the growth in people and and even myself you know i'm much more comfortable talking and and doing those sorts of things these days where it terrified me before Totally, I can totally empathise with that. I mean, I think I've talked to you before about the the fear factor of of, of uh, even posting a comment on LinkedIn. I mean, about eighteen months ago, I think it was eighteen months ago that I did your um, LinkedIn course, and 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 previous to that, I would agonise over a simple comment for maybe twenty minutes or half an hour before mm-hmm. I post anything. And it's definitely just a case of exercising those those muscles and and and, and posting something and 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 you know forgetting about what people might think or how they might react and, and as you say just taking action and it's incredible the momentum that you can gain from from doing that right it, it it just it just snowballs. I'm going to try and put you on the spot and ask you if you had to try and sum up one superpower, one trait, one personality trait above all else that you think has has led to where you are now. What would it be? Putting the success of others before you, yourself, okay. because my success is built on the foundation of the success of the people that I work with. That has to be the number one thing where when if you look at an opportunity and you think, what can I get out of it every single time, then the other person is probably losing. Do you know where that came from? Was, it, was that inspired by anybody or was it just something that came naturally all the way? through as a teenager and, and, and into your 20s? I'm no shrink, but it probably comes down to those, you know, those those primary school days of getting, you know, the crap beaten out of me and bullied <laughs> for being that little white boy in South Auckland that wets his pants. <laughs> yeah. You're going, you know what, when I see somebody that needs some help, I'm going to help them. That's a nice way to finish, Glenn. Anything else you want to add? Anything that we haven't touched on? <laughs> yeah, let's finish on me wetting my pants. <laughs> it's a great way to finish. I'd like to know, actually, what what's next for Connector? What are what are the ambitions? I mean, obviously, I think you've got through COVID reasonably reasonably well. Yeah, I understand. We, we've been blessed. We're we're very very lucky that in time, you know, we I, this is built with a recession in mind. Mm. Okay, when people haven't got massive budgets, they're wanting to take a lot more stuff in house. So if we can support them in-house at a reasonable rate that's fair for everybody then you know we're going to grow and we've you know we've picked up a lot of project work this year we're lucky to pick up a government contract this year so you know believe it or not we have pretty much tripled our turnover this year compared to other other years and and actually reduced our overhead so um you know we've we've done incredibly well for for what has been a, a difficult year it has pretty much broken me if i'm honest mm. uh, i've literally come off a 10 days enforced break where i just i had to go and recalibrate um, right. i ended up getting run down and sick chest infection i couldn't get the daily exercise in and that starts messing with your head yeah but it has given me that opportunity to to look at that future and you know it really is going to be 
again, you know, built on the foundation of the success of those that we work with. And, you know, the next year and the year after, where I'm really going to focus on is not just our one-to-one -one coaching program, but, you know, how can we actually leverage relationships, leverage um, joint ventures, and, you know, how can we actually offer value at scale? Because one-on-one, -on -one, I, I love and I'm passionate about, but it's it's not going to impact as many businesses as I want to. So there are a few little projects that I've got in the background bubbling away where I'm looking at supercharging the impact that we can have on many, many more businesses. That's a much better way to finish, right? Much better. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much for your time, Glenn. I really, really appreciate it. It's been, uh, it's been great to chat with you. Thanks a lot. As always, um, love taking the time to spend with you, buddy. Hey, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please subscribe and tell your friends. And if you've got time, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review on whatever podcasting platform you use. Finally, if you want to learn more about how to tell your own origin story, visit my website, storybud.co. That's S-T-O-R-Y-B-U-D dot co, storybud.co. Thanks again and see you next time.